Welcome, everybody, to episode 48 of You Talking Timmy to Me, an in-depth and very serious exploration into the world of the films of Timothy Chalamet. I'm your host, Trevor Dillon, no longer Clever Villain, because this is coming out in November, and uh, allow me to introduce my co-host, uh, boring incarnate, Adam Scervantes Wagner. Oh, no, not Scervantes anymore. It's uh, just Cervantes. No Scervantes anymore. You're supposed to say boy with apple. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. I forgot. Wait, wait. Oh, I thought that was uh, I thought that that was a Timmy Timmy uh, a reference because uh, I call uh, Timmy the, the boy with the peach. Yeah, yeah. There we go. Okay, <laughs> there, there it is. I've seen some Timothy Chalamet movies. Adam, my co-host, how did the scary season treat you? Now that we're out of it, looking back on it, how was twenty twenty one spooky season for you? Well, Trevor, technically we're not out of it, though we're releasing this on November. Uh, we're filming it the weekend of Halloween. Oh, my so, God. thanks for making me answer it this way. Yeah, it's funny because you haven't actually lived through Halloween yet, but uh, you're breaking kayfabe immediately, saying that we're filming this, which we are not doing. We are <laughs> recording it. And it is dropping on Monday, November 1st, which is uh, notable to this podcast for what reason? It's a year anniversary. <laughs> no, it is one day before my birthday. <laughs> Oh, yeah, duh. So this is the birthday show. You talking Timmy to me, my birthday show. What are you going to do for your birthday? Uh, I'm gonna, okay, well, I'm doing a marathon. I'm going to watch uh, Hot Summer Nights, uh, Call mm-hmm. Me By Your Name. Uh, I'm <laughs> okay. gonna go, I actually am going to see uh, Dune again on Monday night, uh, which we'll talk about in a little bit, obviously. Uh, uh-huh. Kind of spoils my thought on the movie if I'm going to see it again in IMAX. But, uh, yeah, I'm not doing anything really special. I'm just kind of trying to wind down this week because it's been a really crazy crazy month for me like the last 12 months here at the theater the frida cinema in beautiful downtown santa Ana, orange county uh have been just wall-to-wall events like at the very least top three busiest times of the year for me no question well yeah it's good to treat yourself but you didn't answer what are you doing on your birthday oh well on my birthday i told you i'm unwinding i'm just gonna i'm just gonna do nothing i'm gonna like i'm turning my phone off i'm just gonna take a couple days to myself and I'm nice. going to use my birthday as an excuse to do that. Uh, but talking about how busy that I've been, uh, you've actually hopped in on a couple of these events that we've been doing. Uh, I saw you as recently as last night. You were uh, behind the counter for Rocky Horror Picture Show, even though you're not a volunteer at the cinema. And then you were, also, <laughs> you were also behind the counter at our 12-hour horror marathon, Camp Frida, once again, even though you are not a volunteer at the cinema. <laughs> yeah i mean i love being behind the counter for rocky horror just because the energy that the crowd brings is so great it's so specific for rocky horror which nothing else really comes close to that yeah um, and the crowd also uh brings uh, something very unique now uh covid19 <laughs> yeah. sure the opposite of it why because they have to get their vax cards checked at the door which is very reassuring to me yeah, it's uh, it's one of the few events that's so busy, and and, and uh, Camp Frida was the same way uh, mm-hmm. here at the theater, even in Orange County, uh, which a lot of people look at as a Republican stronghold, even though they've gone blue the last two elections. But um, yeah, there, I haven't had a single problem, not one single problem, with people 
and the vaccination records showing them or, you know, stuff like that. Last night, there was a situation where I was upstairs and somebody ran upstairs and it wasn't you. I wish it was you. (laughs) <laughs> uh, and they came up to me and were like, oh, there's somebody outside and uh, they're, 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 they're giving us trouble about the vaccination card. And, uh, and I walked out there and it was just two gentlemen standing to the side. And I was like, hey, guys, like kind of like I didn't walk up aggressively. I mean, I'm, I'm sure they gave a different tone of voice to my two uh, lady volunteers who were sitting at the uh, door. But right. I walked up. I wasn't being aggressive. I was just, hey, guys, you just looking for some refunds, like not giving them an option to talk to me about anything else other than. Let's get your your money back. I don't want to hear your rhetoric. Let's just let's just figure this <laughs> nice. out. And they were like super nice. <laughs> they were like, "Oh, yeah. Um yeah, sorry. We just I guess we didn't read the fine print. Uh you know, uh, uh, we're sorry." Like um and I was like, "Oh, these are just like completely reasonable people who just I guess aren't vaccinated or, you know, cuz that's the thing is that you put up the the wall of you need to show your vax card to get into this event. Or just bring us a negative COVID test. If you're not vaccinated, right. just prove to us you don't have COVID. And that's like, right. you know, just come to the, you know. So that's the big thing is that people were, I think, in this area, especially afraid to do the show your vax card. But it's like you don't only have to do that. You can also just show a negative COVID test, which, you know, is not bulletproof in any way. But it's, I know it's still um, you make a good point. It makes everyone feel a lot better. Yeah, did these people dress up? Like, were they invested in this thing? Um, no, not not really. They just uh, were two nice gentlemen, I think, out on a date to see Rocky Horror Picture Show, and I, I ended up kind of feeling bad. Again, I wasn't aggressive. I was just was like, I'm no, well, we're not giving you any other option here other than because we've had people come to the door and be like, uh, you know, like um, I have my kid with me. Like I'm vaccinated. My kid's not vaccinated. I don't really know like the whole like the politics surrounding that or what the rules are. And so that's always a tough one because I'm always just like, ah, I mean, I don't know what it is either, but just to play it safe, let's go ahead and get you a refund. But I haven't had a single aggressive person about these things. Uh, You know what? And we're going to count this as uh, the discourse, by the way. This is our discourse segment. No, because I found (laughs) out, I found out, we were talking before the show that there was something specific and Uh, I found out what it was. Okay. Well, yeah. So a little bit of COVID discourse uh, at at the top and then we'll launch into some movie discourse, but um but it's different you know and i I, i'm I'm not trying to sound like tough guy or anything but like people definitely talk to me differently i'm sure than they talk to my like teenage volunteers and shit like that so but (laughs) my my experience has been mostly people are very reasonable about that which i i'm i know i sound insane and super naive but how long have you been your height right now Zen, it's not Adam. There's a there's a twofold to this. It's not just the height, boy. It is the weight. I am. I'm walking towards you. I'm a big man. Like like I could be like you're tall. How tall are you? I'm six feet. Yeah, you are. You are at least six foot tall. You're. you're I'm you're, scared of you. Yeah, but you you. <laughs> I'm trying to think of like an old school skinny joke just to shame you. Like you you are a. You are a cowardly man. <laughs> no, yeah, no, you're tall, but uh, it's it's just it's just different when someone is like tall, but like because I don't even stand up straight. Like if I stood up straight, I might be six five. I don't know. We'll never know. The world will never know. <laughs> yeah, I never thought about it before, but definitely, if I didn't know you and you were walking up to me, I'd I'd go get a vaccine that day. Yeah, but but now that you do know me, you're like, oh, there's nothing to worry about with this guy. <laughs> yeah. This guy's got no bark and no bite. <laughs> All right, let's talk about the discourse. First, mm-hmm. let's get the, the cherry on top out of the way. Mm-hmm. It, Idris Elba saying he's not going to play <laughs> Knuckles in any sexy kind of way. How well, he's got he, to talk to the animators about that because they could animate <laughs> Knuckles real sexy. Right, but the voice is such a big part. Mm-hmm. 
Are we well, disappointed I mean, there? That's I mean that's the only part for Idris Elba. I mean, to, <laughs> so tell me in any way, shape, or form how Idris Elba can open his mouth and not be sexy. He's gonna put on a voice. I mean, he's not gonna do straight Idris. Okay, so he's gonna he's gonna go like straight up anti-sexy. He's gonna actively be like, what, do you think he'll do an American voice? Oh, that's a good question. Probably because uh, Sonic is American, right? I mean, there's that entho- there's that ethnocentrism we're always talking about on the show. Well, <laughs> you know the guy who plays him. Uh... Oh, the guy who plays Sonic. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. Ben Schwartz. Yeah. Yeah, he's uh, he's yeah, sure, he's American. Yeah, we, we can we can say Ben Schwartz is American. <laughs> so there you go, Idris. We'll see. I'm I'm actually very curious to see what voice Idris specifically does for Knuckles because I can't imagine him as a voice actor not doing his own voice. Do you think people turned the podcast off when when they heard that this was the this was the discourse that we were going to start talking about? This is probably going to be our most popular episode. <laughs> Uh, this is the second. <laughs> this is the second time we've talked about this Sonic movie that's coming out <laughs> in like two years. Right. Well, we talked about when Idris was first announced. Yeah, and now now this is the second time we've covered this movie that is like he's still talking about how he's gonna do the voice, which means this movie's not coming out anytime soon. <laughs> uh, but let's get to the big thing, Trevor. Mm-hmm. There was a big movie announcement this week. Darn it! You don't remember what it was. Well, I do remember what it was now that you're bringing it up. Go ahead. It is the sequel to Dune. They're making a second one. No. Oh. Uh, but it's close. It's still in space. And I'll give you a hint to infinity and beyond. Uh, <laughs> our, our discourse segment is reserved solely for shitty animated movies. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. We got our Buzz Lightyear prequel sequel movie. Yeah, I saw a tweet that was like, remember when Chris Evans immediately, because of like Disney Con or whatever, was like, we're making a Lightyear movie, and Chris Evans is is voicing Lightyear, or but like, and then he had to go on and be like, I am not playing Buzz Lightyear in this film. I am playing the man that the toy Buzz Lightyear is based <laughs> off of. <laughs> and people are like, man, being an actor in 2021 is so insane. <laughs> wow, I saw a tweet that showed a picture of that Buzz Lightyear, and the caption said, this guy stormed the Capitol. <laughs> That's the catch-22 about Chris Evans, is he definitely looks like a Boston bro, and he does have shades of it. Like sometimes, like when he's like drunk on the Avengers red carpet, but overall he's supposedly supposed to be some nice guy with some decent politics. But uh, right. he's just a person you can never, you can never trust it from. You know what I mean? Like you're just <laughs> like, I don't believe it. I, I think you just want to. I think that he doesn't want to get pratted, so he just he's like, no, what? I be- I vote blue. What? <laughs> I don't know. He's pretty aggressive on uh, Twitter with that stuff. Well, I, I mean, uh, the lady doth protest too much. That's fair. Um, uh, no, no, I, I'm sure he's a nice guy. Did you see the trailer for this guy? Uh, no. <laughs> um, I didn't either. I'm watching it right now as we speak. I'm assuming you're going to be playing this at the Frida before every movie. Yeah, I mean, because oh, I did hear that it had a Bowie song in it, which uh, is a, a trend happening right now. The Licorice Pizza trailer has a Bowie song. I figure, hey, right. if you can put a Bowie song in your trailer, go for it. Yeah, I wonder which song they put into that one. <laughs> into the Buzz Lightyear one? Yeah. Yeah, I have I have a couple of Well, you know what? It could I'm I'm it's between Starman and uh Major Tom. It could be either yeah. of those, I guess. Let me turn up the volume just a second. Sure. Let's hear it. No, they haven't put it yet. 
Um, what's weird though is is if it's the toy based on this dude, it looks like it's going pretty far into like future technology, and Toy Story does not have future technology. Yeah, so this takes place in the future. It doesn't it doesn't make any sense timeline wise, unless like what we saw in Toy Story does take place way in the future, but it's just like some retro town they live in or something. No, no, no. What I meant to say was that this this can take place into the future in the same universe because this man is based on the toy. No, this the man. The toy is came not... out first, and no, then the man, no, no, and that's why it happens in the future. That, that cannot be the case. There's no way that's true because that's insane. A that man... has to be it. But so a man had a Buzz Lightyear toy when he was younger, and said, "I'm going to ch- legally change my name to Buzz Lightyear, and I'm going to go to space." And I'm going to get weird facial reconstruction to look like this guy. <laughs> I mean, no, your point, your point is right. Like, if this movie takes place in the future, that's very, very confusing. Because then that would mean Toy Story has to also take place in the future from this movie. Uh-huh. And it clearly and... doesn't. I mean, we know the technology <laughs> in Toy Story. Yeah, and like I said, unless they're living in some, like, Stephen King, like, under-the-dome bubble-type town that's, like, still stuck in the 90s, but it's, like, 2050. Right. So, so yeah. This is great go. discourse. The the implications <laughs> yeah. the implications on the Toy Story universe could be changed forever. Right. And uh that's some BS, but we'll see. It it looks also really weird just watching the trailer again now. It seems like it's pretty stinking serious in its tone. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, and it's going to be the Cars 3. It definitely looks like it's it's way 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 too serious. Uh yeah. from what I've heard. Again, I have not seen the trailer, but um if you're putting like a slowed down version of a Bowie pop song. It's like, uh, you're taking this a little too serious. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I'm glad we covered that. And yeah. uh, good luck to everyone making those memes out there. They're great. No one's going to see this movie anyway. Uh, so moving on to media diet, I did not watch any movies this week that we are not discussing on the show already. Uh, I did watch an additional movie last night in Soho, uh, which I just guested on one of my favorite podcasts, I versus the big boys to talk about. <laughs> Um, Wait, so which you, movie did you watch? Uh, what? Which movie did you watch? Last night in Soho. Yeah, I know. You watched a movie last night in Soho. Oh, which one? Jesus. You know what? So this <laughs> is the difference between that podcast. The many differences is that not a single person made a joke like that. Come on. Yeah, that was the energy that was missing from that much better uh, show. Was the <laughs> was the the time to, that it takes to stop a show completely in the middle of someone else's thought to make a bad joke. <laughs> um, but yeah, I watched Last Night in Soho, uh, which we'll be talking about next week, uh, along with Antlers, uh, the new film from Scott Cooper, my least favorite director in Hollywood. Uh, although that movie looks quite good. That trailer is very good. Like visually, it looks really great. So maybe horror is the genre for Scott Cooper. We'll find out. But um, yeah, watch Soho, talked about it, listen to that episode of I versus the Big Boys if you want to hear what a good show sounds like. Uh, the key being Adam is not on that episode. And then uh, I watched <laughs> Dune and the French Dispatch, which we'll talk about. But Adam, I know uh, you watched a movie this week because I handed you the DVD of it. That's right. Um, so going back to Camp Frida, the 12-hour movie marathon that happens yearly at the Frida, um, all about horror movies. I didn't get a chance to watch any there because, one, I was volunteering, and then, two, I was tired. But thank you to Raising Cane's that stays open till 3.30 a.m. every day. Shout out. Wait, they stay up to 3.30 every day? Yeah, I was there at 3.10 that night. Okay, but that was a Saturday night. You think you think that they're staying up until 3.30 on, like, a Monday? I believe so. All right. Well, but, hey, uh, I'll, I'll trust you. I mean, you're the guy who definitely eats the most fast food out of the two of us. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so 
Uh, I didn't get a chance. There was a lot of good programming. I wonder who was in charge of that. Yeah. Uh, oh, I can answer, Adam. Uh, I, <laughs> I, I programmed it this year, actually. And uh-huh. I, I know that sounds like a joke. And people are like, oh, well, you program it every year. Um, no, this was my first year programming it. Um, the number after the words Camp Frida is how many years I've been at the Frida. That's how I know. So mm-hmm. I have officially just entered my fifth year as a volunteer slash manager slash programmer like the whole time i've been here in in any capacity uh one of the very 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 first things i did even as a volunteer was suggest to the um higher ups when i got here to do a a yearly horror marathon um not a unique concept literally almost every art house in the country that i know of does one it's a good way to and some of them announce the programming but if they don't announce the programming it's a good way to play movies without paying for the licensing so essentially we're making all the money on the tickets uh, and the studios just kind of let us do it once a year. They, I think it's kind of an unsaid thing that they just don't pay attention. Uh, mm-hmm. So I was able to play this year quite a few movies that cannot be licensed or that I've had trouble licensing in the past, uh, including the movie you're about to talk about. Right. And the theme, of course, was road trip. So everything kind of centering around driving places. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, you, you run out of concepts uh, around year four, as I've learned. <laughs> uh, but it was good. I, I got to sit in. I watched a, an intense scene from the original Hitcher. Mm-hmm. which was fun uh, i missed the hills have eyes but i would have liked to have seen that yeah um yeah, but yeah this will be the year that people will say uh, oh that's year they played the hitcher because the hitcher i literally played a german blu-ray of it like when it started i, ha- I was a little nervous that they were going to start speaking german but i had changed the blu-ray to english obviously i just i had to stick around and really make sure but when it started the title card dropped it said the hitcher and then underneath it said der hitchhike killer and i was like Okay, I think that's the only German part of this movie. Hopefully, like the the signs on the road are not like superimposed to be German. But uh, that was yeah, just yeah. the subtitle for the movie. Yeah, yeah, was, well, that was yeah, that was the American subtitle when it came out. But uh, yeah, those. So I think this will be the year that people will look back on Camp Frida Five Road Trip as oh, that's the year they played the Hitcher because like almost no one had seen it in the audience, and mm-hmm. uh, everyone was like, it, 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 oh man, that was so good. It's like eighty five minutes. Rutger Hauer's fantastic in it. Everyone likes Jennifer Jason Lee, um, and I I, I kind of like the remake of it honestly with Sean Bean and um, Sophia Bush and a couple of other actors. But the original is just just really really great. So I'm glad you at least got to see a little bit of it. Yeah, I got to. See, I walked in for two scenes and both were excellent. Um, but I took home Near Dark, Catherine Bigelow's uh, one of her first films. Yeah, I think Near Dark is I think her second movie. Don't quote me on that. Yeah, pretty cool. Um, I texted you Bill Paxton rules, and you ignored that text completely. <laughs> well, yeah, my day after Camp Frida. Well, my my two <laughs> days subsequent. Now that I'm like in my, I'm thirty now, so it's like, uh, it's the 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 recovery process is so much worse for me now. Uh, so I, when you sent it to me, not only did I completely ignore it, but I didn't understand it. I was like, why is he just <laughs> randomly texting me Bill Paxton rules? I agree with you. <laughs> Um, yeah, it was pretty interesting seeing that movie. I think it was it was still rough. You could tell she was still kind of finding her footing as a filmmaker, and it was '86, I think. So she was shooting, you know, with whatever kind of equipment she could get her hands on back to then. However, there are some set pieces in there that I think are really excellent. Like you could see um, that she definitely has like a great feeling for narrative and cinematic style that's like going to be coming out in her future films. 
yeah, I, I watched it for the first time a couple years ago. It was actually weirdly for how like not available it is. I think maybe you can buy it if you want to to stream, maybe even not. But it was on the Criterion channel hmm. uh, when I watched it, which I thought was really cool. Uh, it's a really good place for that to be. And you're right. There's like the bar set piece is really great. Um, yeah. I love the RV that they're um, going around in, very road trip based. Um, uh, Lance Henriksen is really good in it. Um, Jeanette Goldstein, who we later see as Vasquez and Alien. Did you notice that that was her? No, I didn't notice that was her. Yeah, Jeanette Goldstein is she's Vasquez and Alien. So when you see her in Near Dark, or, or you see her as the Irish lady in Titanic with the kids on the bed as they're about to drown, um, you realize. Uh oh, she did brown face and aliens. Yeah, that's uh awful. <laughs> yeah, it's super problematic. And like uh, Vasquez is like a very iconic character, mm-hmm. and that and Cameron, I don't think has ever taken any real criticism from that. And it just was like, oh okay, I guess like in retrospect now, when you know who Jeanette Goldstein is as his character actress, you're like, oh, they yeah, she full on like was doing brown face, which is yeah a problem. I guess because no one knows, right? I mean, I didn't. Did you know that beforehand? Yeah, but then that's essentially us just saying, like, "Wow, that brown face sure was convincing." <laughs> well, yeah, um, yeah. So, I, so that's interesting. You say later, so we have a that makes it three actors from Aliens. Um, mm-hmm. We also have the guy who plays Bishop, and then obviously Bill Paxton. Yeah. Um, I had no idea where this movie took place until there's that scene where um, the main character is like stumbling into town. He's trying to reject his vampirism. And on the marquee in the background, you can see aliens. Oh, oh, so they, yeah, I'm sorry. You're right. They made this after aliens. Yeah, which is cool to get so many people from Aliens into this movie. That's right. And not to discredit Bigelow in any way, but I, I've read a lot of stuff that Cameron was fairly involved with this movie. Like, he, he really, um, for lack of a better word, not that Bigelow needs the help, but he helped her out quite a bit in this movie. And, uh, you know, we don't ever give him credit for this movie, and we should not, obviously. But, boy, that's got to be nice to have James Cameron kind of <laughs> hang around set while you're making a vampire movie. Yeah, he kept giving you the note. Can we put someone in brown face? <laughs> yeah, just, let's get a little more bronzer on Jeanette in this scene. <laughs> I feel like she's, uh, yeah, no. Uh, yeah, wild, wildly pro- problematic thing that I don't think anyone's ever really talked about. Right. But, uh, I, yeah, I think uh, you can tell it's great that, that she could get these great actors for it. I mean, Bill Paxton, if he wasn't in this movie, I don't think it would be nearly as good of a movie as it turned out to be. Yeah, yeah, no, the um, the imagery from the movie is him with the blood all over his face. Yeah, it's funny because yeah. it's, it's a small movie, but like you said, it has these pretty decently big, like, set pieces, like, action set pieces. Mm-hmm. Like, as a, to... Yeah, sorry. Oh, go ahead. I love the scene in the hotel. There's a, there's a fantastic yeah. scene in the hotel. Uh, and I watched the movie a couple years ago, and I don't remember it perfectly, but like you said, there's three or four parts that are, like, punctuated really, really well and done very well. Yeah, hotel, and like you already said, the bar scene is just excellent. It just... Mm-hmm. They're just chewing it, which I love to see. You know, the, the scene goes on for such a long time, and it doesn't have to, but it's so good. Um, uh, I, I have a little story uh, about after that movie. It was like 4 a.m., and I was out front because we take little breaks between the movies. Yeah. Um, and um, a l- listener of the show, I guess, uh, Zach, who comes to the Frida quite a bit and is on uh, Twitter. I'll get his Twitter handle to plug because he's really great on Twitter. But he walked up to me while I was outside and he said, um, hey, uh, and I had never met him in person, but I know him very well from Twitter. His his ad is cold as Zach. 
uh, Zach is Z-A-C. So follow at cold as Zach. Um, big supporter of the theater and uh, supporter of this podcast, which is insane, and he shouldn't be doing that, but thank you for doing that anyway. <laughs> he walked up to me, and the way I found that out is he he like knew who I was. We never met, but he said, hey, so Titan, how do you pronounce it? Because you pronounce it differently on your show every week. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's a really funny way to say like, hey, I know who you are, and I listen to your podcast. But it's like, uh, so I was like, it's funny because I like, took the compliment i guess and was like it's titan and i like did it correctly <laughs> so uh wow, zach okay. zach thanks for uh thanks for uh the fun conversation at 4 a.m and yeah. uh, thank you for your support and thank you for the the great uh pun that is your twitter handle i love it i, I knew i knew it would be something good <laughs> um all right yeah so let's get into it i think we talked about near dark long enough and buzz yeah. Lightyear. That's a good, that's a good, no, yeah. So Discourse, Buzz Lightyear and Knuckles, Media Diet, Near Dark. Now it's time to talk about Timmy. You talking Timmy to me. Um, just a weird coincidence that Timothy Chalamet is headlining like two, well, I'll say one very prominent movie and one movie that's weirdly kind of just a whisper that's kind of out right now. Uh, mm-hmm. Of course, we're talking about Denis Villeneuve's Dune and uh, Wes Anderson's The French Dispatch. Which one do you want to start with? Uh, let's do Dune. All right, Dune. Um, so I saw Dune in Irvine, California, in IMAX. Irvine, as a lot of people know, is the uh, state capital. Uh, and <laughs> <laughs> and they have an IMAX screen there that I think is the Universal City Walk up in um, Hollywood has one that's the same size as well. And those are, I think, the only two legitimate IMAX screens in the state i think or at least southern california so if you want to see a movie in like true imax and you live in orange county irvine spectrum is the place to do it at um i sit in the same seats every single time i'll be sitting in those exact same seats on monday when i see it again um best trailer reel i've ever gotten before a movie like straight wall to wall like they played the licorice pizza trailer they played the new michael bay movie which looks awesome it looks awesome it has a terrible terrible name uh, it's called Ambulance, which is awful. But uh, Jake Gyllenhaal uh, is in it. Isaac Gonzalez is in it. Um, and uh, Yahya Abdul-Mateen uh, is in it as well. Uh, speaking of which, I also got a Matrix uh, Resurrections trailer. I forgot the name of it for a second. And uh, I also got like a Spider-Man trailer and an Eternals trailer, which a lot of people are like, boy, I can't wait to not see that Eternals trailer anymore. I haven't gotten that trailer that much. So in IMAX, it... Kind I'll not, I will probably I probably will see that movie. Uh, that's the crazy thing is I probably will make time to see that movie. Yeah, no, I, I won't. No, I won't. No, <laughs> if you tell me to, and we're going to talk about it on the show. We will, but ah, uh, never mind. I, I won't see it. But um, and then uh, we capped it off with a, a trailer for the Batman. So I was like, sheesh, this is a this is a really really good trailer reel. Um, it's kind of the trailer reel that you hope you're going to get every time you see a movie in IMAX. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Adam, the movie started. Mm-hmm. Let's forget the movie. I think we got enough. Yeah, I think I. <laughs> so that's the context for the night I'm having. I'm having a good night, and then Adam, the movie started. Here we go. And I went into this movie with very, very low expectations. I like the Denis movies, not Claire Denis. I do like Claire Denis movies, but um, I do like the Denis Villeneuve movies. Um, obviously, Incendies, uh, Prisoners, Sicario. Uh, Arrival, Blade Runner 2049. I mean, he's uh, Enemy. I even like Enemy quite a bit. So, like, 
if Dune is good, he's like seven for seven. Like he's and and I know a lot of people worship at the altar of Denis, and it's like I get it. He's a very good filmmaker. People are like he's the next Christopher Nolan. I'm like I don't understand how we're not talking about them in contemporary terms anymore because like he's seven for seven. Like that's very <laughs> very good. Um, but this movie, uh, I didn't think it was gonna be my thing, and it turns out. It uh, totally, absolutely was my thing. This movie Here fucking rules. This okay. movie rules. Yeah. It is... I think Nolan himself said it was the best marriage of like effects and photography he's ever seen. And I thought that was a perfect review for this movie. Because, man, this... And a lot of people like... The, uh, that's another discourse that was going on this week was people saying like... Stop telling me to see this movie in IMAX. If it's not good, if I don't enjoy it and it doesn't look good on my television at home, then it's not a good movie, which is an interesting take. And, uh, you know, the guy who was on the show for us last week, Justin Moore, the guy, he had that opinion as well. He was like, if it's not good at home, it's not a good movie. You can't just say a movie is good because it was good when you saw it in IMAX. And there's definitely an argument to be had there, but... The movie is certainly enhanced by the IMAX experience, I, w- I would think. Yeah. I don't know what your experience was. Yeah, so I did see it at home, actually. Cool. So <laughs> so, so did you – did it make you – I mean, regardless – I mean, I suppose this will be a spoiler of what you feel at the movie, but uh-huh. um, did it make you want to go see it in a bigger format once you had seen it at home? Um, well, I'm, I'm a sucker for IMAX. You know, I'll go see the – any. Throw, throw me a Godzilla movie and I'll see it in IMAX because I, I want to take the chance, you know? Yeah. I love IMAX. Um, I would have seen this movie in IMAX for sure. I would have been down to, but it kind of was just easier to watch it at home. I have a 13-inch CRTV, and that's kind of perfect <laughs> for it. <laughs> Wait, are you serious? <laughs> no. I actually, okay. I have a pretty good entertainment setup here, so yeah. I'm a little bit spoiled. No, that's cool. I mean, like, um, uh, watching it at home, and if you have an awesome setup, it's like, of course. Like, it's a, it, the the argument is true. If a movie is good, it's going to be good in IMAX, and it's going to be good at home. But you can't make the argument that the IMAX isn't adding at least a little bit to the experience. I mean, these these scenes. Let's so so the performances, and we need to talk about Timmy. Let's talk about Timmy. Timothy uh-huh. Chalamet does aptly carry this film he is the lead of this movie which was slightly a surprise to me uh because he's surrounded by momoa and oscar isaac and i think i would i would say rebecca ferguson is probably the co-lead and she's really great in it um javier bardem hops in and he's really really great and he steals a scene here and there um zendaya feels a little bit out of place in a Denis villeneuve movie i'm not gonna lie to you maybe she'll be great in the sequel but well, um really quick uh, she only has seven minutes of screen time in this movie yeah i saw a tweet that said uh i was like i was zendaya baited <laughs> <laughs> and i was like yeah yeah they did really run her in the advertising quite a bit mm-hmm. uh but now nah, i'm sure she'll play a very prominent role in the second uh, second movie but uh, which there will be a second movie, like I said. Uh, we were talking about that earlier, and I think that's cool because I couldn't give a shit about there being a second Dune two weeks ago, but now that I've seen it, I'm with everyone else. Like, God, yeah, I hope they make a second one, and they're definitely going to. And now Villeneuve is going around being like, well, I've always actually always thought of it as a trilogy, so uh, I think we should do three of them. <laughs> so, uh, But he's not Cameron. He's not going to spend 20 years of his life making these sequels. He's going to – I would I would assume they should have greenlit the second and third one to save a little bit of money. But uh, right. anyways, let's talk about Timmy. Um, I, I, how did you think he did? Uh, this is a big, big $250 million movie, and he is the star of it. 
I think he did pretty well. I like Timmy. Um, if if anything, the problem comes from if any like criticism, it's from I guess uh, the his voice because uh, his voice kind of stays the same in every movie, and so I think you could mm-hmm. say that he's he, you could default to saying that he doesn't have a range, right. but I think he does. I think he still has a range despite his voice, and I think I think he was a good uh, casting for this. I liked him as Paul. Yeah, I mean, he's he's just the guy right now. You know, you're like, well, this character is a 25 year old prince. I mean, who are we gonna cast? And it's like, well, <laughs> Timmy. It's like that's that's the guy we're going to right now. So that's literally literally what he is already. <laughs> yeah, 25 year old prince. I will say, Timmy. If we're gonna talk about Timmy for a little bit, the man Timmy right now. They're not trying to cancel him, but have you seen these cringy videos that people have been putting online this week? Yeah, I saw um, they found his old YouTube channel where he modded Xbox 360 controllers. Yeah, well, that's that's cool, actually. But Yeah, um, I like him a lot more for that. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> but, like, they've, uh, there's the, like, like, talent show competitions and stuff where he would, like, be dancing and rapping and stuff. Like, those have been coming online. And he's <laughs> not really being problematic other than just, like, appropriating a little bit. But, mm-hmm. I mean... Put, I mean, like, come on. Like, he was a theater kid for sure, very showy. And uh, I know this is probably like 10 years ago. That's the thing is that he's still pretty young. So this was this was in the 2010s when he was doing this stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, you get a little bit uh, more flack for that reason. But he's just kind of a – he's just kind of a, a little bit of a, like, nerd dweeb, I feel like. Like, he, like he's yeah. like – He's like brooding and like ladybird and stuff. But then when you see him in real life, the thing that I like about Timothy Chalamet that I hope always stays the same is that he in press and stuff always seems excited to be making a movie or be yeah. in a movie, which I really appreciate. He does not seem above it or too cool for it, which I really like. Yeah, absolutely. I was going to say the same thing. I really do enjoy that about him. And I bet he's like, I bet he's that way on set, and that's why he's like so often on so many movies because he's probably just fun to have around. Yeah, I mean, I know we, there's been the stories about him like going around in MIU and sleeping well. I'm like, okay, okay, all right, yes, that's what? bad. I didn't understand anything you said. Yeah, yeah, there's the stories that came out with of like him being at NYU and like sleeping with all these girls and stuff like that. I'm just like, okay, if that turns out to be problematic, if any of these women come forward and say like, but I mean, but yeah, that's, that's, that's a whole not... other. That's not necessarily a bad thing in itself, right? Like if he, he was a, a good-looking young man in college. Like, I, like <laughs> unless it was problematic, I don't. I, unless that I'm misreading the stories, and he's still going to NYU right now as a 25-year-old, and sort of preying on these 18-year-old women, then that is a problem. Like if he's doing the Franco thing, which Franco was doing mm-hmm. that shit at like 40, so it's completely different. But yeah, so um, <laughs> we'll see, we'll see. But as as I read him currently, and I, you know. <laughs> I never gave my read on Army Hammer, so that's good that I never gave my read on him. But if I had a read on this celebrity, if we're talking about Timmy right now, um, he's just kind of a he's he plays as innocent, but you know he's probably not behind the scenes. But I like his public persona of like I'm gonna show up, I'm gonna be dressed flashy, but I'm gonna be really excited to be in this movie, and I'm gonna praise all my castmates and stuff like that. So. Um, either he has very, very good PR or he is just kind of a dweeb that's nice, but also happens to be very, like, very good looking and skinny and tall, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I know peop- it's easy to hate on him for the sort of Justin Bieber-esque thing, right? Like a young, talented dude. 
but I think he's doing a good job. And what's best is he's really making good movie choices. Like, I love Adam Driver, who's out there doing the same thing. He's making good movie choices, working with the right directors. And Timothy's doing the same thing, right? Yeah. I think that you've met, you've brought up a really, really good point. He does seem like if Adam Driver got into the game earlier that Adam Driver got into the game. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. But he's classically better looking than Adam Driver. I mean, everyone, we all love Adam Driver, and he's an incredible actor. I think you have really nailed – I think Chalamet is the next Adam Driver. I think that he's that guy who's going to eventually – and a lot of people want to crown him like the next DiCaprio – but, like, I think he's more hopefully interested in taking weirder roles eventually. Um, you know, if the new Star Wars series launched today and they needed a Kylo Ren, you know, if, if we went back in time to 2015, you know you, you know what I'm doing here with the fucking quantum yeah. mechanics and all that. Yeah. He's You're the Buzz perfect, Lightyearing this thing. <laughs> yeah. He's the perfect Kylo Ren. I mean, he's like that br- broody teenager who you said his voice is always the same, but uh, we'll talk about it in French Dispatch. I love it when he screams. It reminds me of when Ryan Gosling screams. <laughs> yeah. He has yeah. this, like, insane, like, uh, vocal pitch thing that happens that makes me laugh every time uh, and we'll get to it but okay <laughs> yeah. so we, we generally we like Timmy we talked about Timmy yeah. we like Timmy um, I think Rebecca Ferguson is the best performance in this movie I think she's really really great Oscar Isaac is a rock he's just super good at everything like he was even good in the card counter which we didn't talk about like the card counter came out and like everyone in it is so off it's it's incredible and then he is just <laughs> fully on every scene you're like oh so he just went straight through the bullshit in the bad direction sorry Paul Schrader <laughs> fans uh, I like first performance as much as the next guy but um and then uh, Josh Brolin's really good in this movie. I, I, right. I thought he was super intense. I think the weakest part of this movie is Momoa. Um, Interesting. Okay. Who, yeah, who is like, it's the only jokes in the movie. He brings charisma immediately on screen, but I don't know why. I'm just not quite buying him in this universe. I, I, don't, hmm. I don't know. Um, I, his, yeah. Oh, well, I, I actually, I like him in this movie. I think the weakest part is, uh, I'm sorry, I'm getting the actress's name, but... Uh, Tim's mom, Paul's oh, well, mom. Oh, so you think that Rebecca Ferguson is the weakest part? I think she was. I think it was overdoing it a lot of the time. Interesting. I thought she was the best best performance in this movie. <laughs> Whoa. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think for me, it took me out a little bit because I think it, every and I think it's. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's pretty much the only woman in the in the movie. <laughs> yeah. Oh boy. Uh oh. That's not my fault. I wish they were all. No, no. The 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 scientist too, who does an excellent job. She's great. She's fantastic. Yeah. Um, but I just thought like scenes where um, the mom is like waiting outside the chamber, you know, yeah. every time she's breaking down, I'm like, all right, y- all right. You know, it's a lot. Yeah. Well, this is, this is a space opera. It gets operatic at times. That's true. And really emotional. For the most part, she does a great job, I yeah. think. But there, there are those moments where I was a little bit taken out of it. Um, and I think it's a, we're pretty late in the podcast to say this. I think it's because we, we record these fairly, we, like we're like a week and a half late on some of these movies sometimes, but I, I say from here on out, we just talk spoilers about Dune and the French Dispatch. Like, if you're this far into the podcast and you haven't seen these movies, I think that we just kind of – let's just open the floodgates. Yeah. Uh, Adam, ring, ring the alarm. Ding, 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 ding. So I really like um, – I thought it would be one beat or one thing too much in this movie, but, like, adding the witchiness to this universe. Um, do you know what I mean? Right. Like, the, like yeah. the voice and all that stuff. I don't know why, but it just translated so well for me. Like, Denis did, I think he did an unbelievable job as a director translating a book that people called Unadaptable. 
Like, they called Lord of the Rings unadaptable, and then Peter Jackson made the trilogy, and everyone was like, oh, okay. So now <laughs> now it's like, yeah, so he made this unadaptable book. It tr- it translated completely, almost too well for me to where I'm like, the way that they're saying, like, Arrakis, like, they're like they're basically just saying Iraq, and they're saying, like, oh, yeah, the Freedom Fighters down there, the Furman. I'm like, okay, we get the metaphor, guys. <laughs> like, we understand the metaphor, and they're being pretty heavy-handed on it. Mm-hmm. But uh, how did you think... Villeneuve did as a director with the impossible task of translating the book and have you read the book okay so I have not read the book and you know this I don't know if the podcast know this but I don't really like Denis Dennis Mm. as a director I did not know this actually yeah I don't I don't really like him Um, Mm -hmm. I do not like the movie Arrival Mm -hmm. Uh, I did not like the new Blade Runner Incendies I did not like um, Prisoners and Sicario I liked actually okay um, but yeah, I don't like him. And, uh, I think one of the reasons is, which I see, I think is apparent in this film also mm-hmm. is I don't think he can handle a lot of things at once. Mm. I think, I think he's, he has to shoot one thing at a time and it has to be like, you know, this scene is about this here. And it, the scene just focuses on that, which I, I could see as a strength, but I don't like that because I think it gets pretty boring mm-hmm. and it feels very simplistic. However, I think he did a great job translating this movie. I think I, I feel like after watching this movie, only he could have done it this way. But what's funny is in terms of the translation, I think that the weakest part of this film is the plot. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, it, it's it, it's. Do you think that they tried to cram too much into it, or? Not enough, I don't. I don't think. Right. I, I feel like they simplified it so much, which was cool, which was a great job. I was t- totally on board, um, but that like I just it was kind of boring as a movie. The, the the it goes from plot point to plot point, which I don't really care about. You know, yeah. the whole like, all right, now we have a there's a plot to take over. We killed the main um, what do you call him? Not the Duke, but the other one. Yeah, yeah, the Duke, and we kill him, and then now they're on the run, and now they find the lost tribe, like. It just didn't seem like that interesting of a story overall, whereas I loved the visuals. I would totally see this in IMAX again just because mm-hmm. it was beautiful. I'm a sucker for sci-fi, even though I haven't read the book, and this movie really brought it. I usually don't like his color palette either, but I think it worked pretty stinking well for this movie. Yeah, Greg Fazier, who um, uh, shot the upcoming The Batman, he shot this, and it looks... So the trailer looks dull as hell to me. And then when I actually saw the movie and my eyes adjusted to the palette, you know, it looks it looks insane. Yeah, Denny really hates your pupils for this movie because he'll go back and forth between darkness and like super bright scenes. Yeah, 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 definitely. Uh, like it, we're out in the middle of the desert. Um, so it's interesting that you so when you say that he like focuses too hard on one thing at a time, do you mean that? he doesn't have the ability to have sequences that are like cross cutting between two different things happening and kind of moving the story forward. Like a, like a Nolan does a lot of times. Like, is that what you're saying? Or yeah. And there's sort of no subtlety to the storytelling. Mm-hmm. It's very much like it's almost narration, you know, in the way that he tells a story going from this to this, it's like the complete opposite of good fellas. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, yeah. It's not propelling forward as much as it's just happening and kind of, um, it's it's funny because there's moments in this movie that are like, you know, this is this people and they live on this planet and this is these people and they live on this planet and they do this. And it's like uh, spice is this. And then it's like 
Uh, then the second part of it is like, Spice makes interstellar travel possible. And then I'm just sitting there in my seat, and I'm like, okay. <laughs> but, they, <laughs> but they don't explain how or why. It's just, it's very much like, Spice makes interstellar. But if they had gone more into depth with that, I think that like general audiences would have been like, okay, you're giving me too much information now. Whereas right. I just, there's a bluntness to it that like in a confidence in the screenplay to be like spice mm. makes interstellar travel possible anyway moving on <laughs> it's like holy shit okay cool also like if you breathe in spice if you're the Furman, you get this benefit from it and i'm like okay like they're really just spelling it out for you there's but is there i mean like did you feel like there was a ton of exposition in this movie no i think i think that's the sp- that's the double-edged sword of that this thing, right? Is like I, I'm glad they didn't get into why Spice lets you navigate the universe. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it is is it is also just Denny is known for that. I think it's in his other movies you could see the same thing where he's taking his time, and so it's perfect for for translating something that's very dense. Right. But also, it doesn't necessarily make it entertaining. Interesting. So what would you so so you are probably with me coming to this movie, not high expectations. Right, not at all. I was I was yeah. not looking forward to it because because I don't enjoy the director's work really as a whole. Yeah, I mean, so uh I wrote down uh expectations are the movie killer. Okay, go ahead, Joker. No, uh uh no, it's uh fear is the mind killer. Yeah. expectations are the movie killer that's good i mean if i if i knew where the first line came from i'm sure i would have loved what you're saying now yeah well it's from dune oh yeah okay (laughs) fear is the mind killer was like a big part of that movie sure okay uh so uh, yeah so when i say expectations are the movie killer i mean like if i roll into like last night in soho thinking oh boy edgar wright giallo movie and he gives me a watered down bullshit version of a Jala movie. <laughs> I go, what? But if I go into Dune, like, like, you know, I think Denny's probably the guy for the job, but I'm just not interested in Dune at all. I haven't read the book or whatever. And then I see it and I'm like, wow, that was way better than I was expecting. Mm. Holy shit. Uh, is this 24 frames per second? Like everything is like, in, it, everything is impressing me. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's just like the most basic stuff. Like, uh, like oh uh, uh, look at the look at the I don't even know I don't even have a second beat on this joke it's just, it's just just like anything will impress me if my expectations are low enough for and I also was wrong I thought that Dune was gonna bomb uh, and it's not gonna bomb in fact it's just okay. gonna barely lose the studio about fifty to a hundred million dollars <laughs> <laughs> it's just enough uh, probably I'm gonna guess around it's gonna lose them about fifty million after everything it's just enough to want to keep Denis happy so they'll make a sequel. That's why they're making the sequel. It's because right. Nolan has now less, left WB. So they have Denis now. He is their Nolan now. So they want <laughs> to make him happy. So when he's on the, you know, when he's out doing press, like, yeah, I really hope we get to make a second one. This movie could have bombed and they would have still made a second one probably. Mm-hmm. But it's a, it's a huge win-win for WB because when the second one comes out in 2023, hopefully we will be well past this pandemic and the second one will make quite a bit of money because more people will be able to go to the movies and stuff. And they're already claiming that it will not drop on HBO Max. It will be exclusively in movie theaters. Yeah, and I think that's a good move. Um, I, I'll definitely... Like, I'm excited for the next one, and I will go see it in IMAX. Um, uh, like, if this movie didn't play in theaters and I didn't go see it in theaters, 
Um, how would I have heard the kid who was sitting next to me fart during one of the big action sequences? <laughs> you know what? That's a perfect um, sort of segue into, unfortunately, uh, another thing that took me out of this film were the action sequences. Denny sure. cannot shoot an action sequence, it's looking like. Um, really? Got, wow. Yeah, and I was getting that feeling also back in uh, Blade Runner when the whole movie culminates in like a fist fight. Mm-hmm. Um, which was not enjoyable, in my yeah, opinion. Sure. Yeah. I, I, um, but even here, like, ah, I wanted the action to be really good, and I don't think he knows how to do it. I think there was a lot of cuts. It was almost shaky cam, Paul Grass style, green grass yeah. style, but not mm-hmm. quite there. Um, he, he didn't want to let the action breathe, or he didn't, I guess, understand where we wanted to look, you know? Um, I, I do want to really reiterate that there's that fight at the end between uh, Timmy and the guy who's uh, the like the naysayer on the Furman. Yeah. And um, this movie is punctuated by a lot of moments of silence during mm-hmm. big sequences. Uh, so there was a big moment of silence and the kid sitting next to me farted <laughs> <laughs> loudly. Yeah, loudly. I don't blame him is what I'm saying. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I went with a friend of the podcast, Zeeshan, and uh, he told me afterwards, he's like, did you hear that kid fart next to me? And I was like, yes, that was what that was. Like, I was like, I didn't know what that was. Like, if it was like a pop in the IMAX speakers. But anyways. Um, um, yeah, but yeah. that's what I'm saying. And you could also tell that he's not confident in shooting action sequences because mm-hmm. these are the only times in the movies where we get the most cuts, like in a certain amount of time. Where everything right. else he, he does let breathe and he focuses on, he takes it nice and slow. But the action sequences are just cut, 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 cut because he's right. not sure exactly how it's going to look maybe. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And so that was a bummer, I think, because I think I liked the movie overall. Um, mm-hmm. And I think I would have really liked it had he just nailed that part as well, even though I wasn't as into the plot. Hey, well, you know, people said that about Nolan after Batman Begins. So maybe uh, the next one will be uh, Villeneuve's Dark Knight. Well, he'll, he'll learn how to shoot action. That's fair. Yeah. I mean, that's he's totally capable of it. Um, yeah. I mean, to this point, he hasn't really made... I mean, Sicario has some, like... I wouldn't call them action sequences, but um, he hasn't really shot action sequences to this point. Yeah. Other than, I guess, Blade Runner. But Blade Runner's not like an action movie. I mean, he can, he can kind of shoot that however he wants. Right, although the action sequences in there weren't too hot. But in Sicario, <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's just some excellent um, set pieces that are action-heavy, but I wouldn't consider still action. Right. Um, yeah, so I mean, we could talk about Dune for literally hours, but I think that I'm I'm a heavy recommend on Dune. Uh, I feel like at this point, anybody who has wanted to see Dune has already gone and seen it, right. uh, so they can safely listen to this podcast and kind of hear us chat about it. But uh, is there anything else you wanted to say about this movie? Yeah, I am. I'm actually very excited for the second one because I think the strongest thing in Dune happens at the end where. Yeah. He gets, uh, we get the vision and we see him like learning from this friend of his, yeah. um, who's a Furman. And then the, he kills the guy mm-hmm. before he gets a chance to actually learn from him. And yeah. suddenly I'm very into the lore and of this, like, of what you were talking about, of sort of the wizardry of this world. Right. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. I actually forgot about that is that we keep seeing the guy teaching him how to be a Furman. And then we learn like very quickly that it's like, oh no, this guy dies. Timmy kills him. Yeah. Uh, um, I do love the how Oscar Isaac was like, on this planet, we have water power. On this planet, we have earth power. And then it's like, when we go to Arrakis, we will have desert power. I love that. <laughs> it's just so cool. Like de- yeah. The idea of desert power is so cool to me. 
Yeah, I agree. Oh, and one last thing. Probably the weakest point in the movie to combat the strongest that I just mentioned. Um, there's another action sequence. Jason Momoa, you know, sacrificing himself to save yeah. the prince. Uh, so he does that initial fight, and then they, they stab him a lot. Then he's on his knees, and they yeah. come over. The guy wielding the sword going to take his head off, and then he slaps him instead. So that just so that he just so that Jason Momoa could get up behind them later and take him out again. What the heck? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I, he went full Aquaman on those on those guys. Yeah, but I don't I don't get. I mean, why? It was such a lame conceit. I, I'm yeah, sure yeah. that they wanted him to be like, oh, he's still alive, yeah. yeah. But, like, why was he still alive? Why didn't he chop his head off? I totally thought that was what was going to happen. Right. I will say that this movie has um, an incredible, and maybe you'll disagree with me, but it kind of, you say, you have the criticism of Denis not being able to propel a story forward um, kind of with editing techniques and, Stuff like that, but there's a sequence uh, where the spice miner is out in the middle of the desert. Uh, they take the rotocopter, all words that I definitely knew before I went and saw this movie. I've just kind of picked them up by osmosis. Uh, it's uh, Oscar Isaac, Josh Brolin, and Timmy go out to check out the spice miner, and they're looking at it, and then there's a worm that's on the way towards the spice miner. Do you, you, yeah. re- you recall this sequence, right? Yeah, it's a, I'm glad you brought it up. It's 20 minutes long, and I was I, I it was fantastic. It was so yeah. so so good. It was like a race against the time. So it felt almost like Mad Max Fury Road level good. It was like there was a ticking time bomb, and I, I of like this worm, this huge thing. That was when we got this massive scope of the movie of this huge worm on the way, and how big the desert was, and this and them being like all calm about it, like ah, it's okay. We'll get the spice miner out of here. We have this thing that'll come and pick it up, and then that breaks. And then Oscar Isaac like has to make a decision like we're gonna take three rotocopters down we're gonna put seven people each on them it was very like mission based and it's a very odd action sequence to be in the middle of the movie because it's not really an action sequence it almost mm-hmm. felt like a heist scene right or a, yeah. um, a rescue scene I should say yeah and it's excellent I'm so glad that you brought that up I I, th- I really love that scene also and I think it's because again Denny is shooting the opposite of the rest of the film. I think instead of him like slowing down to do one thing at a time, this is where he starts doing the cross-cutting, where he's focusing on more right. story ideas than just one singular thing. Because we also get we get the rescue, we get the worm, we get Timmy. He's out there getting high. Yeah. Um, and I think it really works because we finally pile on and we get a movie going here. I, I, I totally agree with you. The, the movie definitely gets going there. Uh, I I even love the part where um, he's kind of high sitting there and like hallucinating and then he says like I can tell your footsteps are different or whatever and then Brolin grabs him yeah. I, I love that it's like oh we're paying that off that's great and then there's the insane shot of them leaving in the rotocopter and like the, the hatch in the back is still down mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and Brolin is holding Chalamet and they're looking down and they see the worm yeah. just eat the thing and I'm like what a great shot like <laughs> holy shit like yeah. that's just like you're nailing everything in that sequence so right. I, I would literally recommend seeing this two-hour and 40-minute movie for that 20-minute stretch. And also, I think the battle of the attack, the Pearl Harbor-like attack on Arrakis, I think looked really incredible. Well, I think the whole movie uh, is just really good. Like, for me, I'm happy enough to just get a cool two-hour, two-and-a-half-hour sci-fi looking thing. You know, Hard I didn't sci-fi. Really need a, yeah, I didn't need a plot. I'm just happy to look at it, and it was great. Uh, before we move on to French Dispatch, I do want to say I saw Blade Runner twenty forty nine, um, 
like opening weekend at the TCL Chinese Theater on their laser IMAX uh, projector, which is um, you know rumored to be like the nicest one in the in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so I liked Blade Runner twenty forty nine. I have not seen it since. Okay, uh, so I, that I should saw tell it twice you how, in theaters. So it should tell you how much I actually like it <laughs> that I that I haven't made time like uh, like I liked Interstellar when it came out. Obviously, Nolan different thing, but. I saw it in, in IMAX. I thought it was fine. I have revisited Interstellar since. Talk, speaking about talking about Timmy, forgot he was in it. Was watching it. It was like, that's Timothy Chalamet. That's crazy. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, he's in the movie. Yeah. A very small role, which apparently he found. He Apparently his role was bigger. And when he took his mom to the um, premiere, they had, like, cut almost all of his scenes. And he was, like, super, super bummed. Which, that was when I started to like him, is him being so open about that. Like, he, like having that childlike disappointment of like, Oh, I was in this movie and now I'm not really in the movie that much, you know? Yeah. Instead of getting um, like angry about it. Yeah. He was like kind of sad about it. Like, Oh shoot, you know, but yeah. uh, oh shucks, <laughs> Timmy. <laughs> uh, I like how we're making about to be so, so innocent. Uh, and when he's uh, canceled in a few years of this is going to look really bad. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I, I revisited interstellar and I was like, damn, no, that's a great movie. So I don't know. I'm afraid to revisit blade runner 2049. Cause I might be like, Ooh, Take the uh, TCL Chinese Theater IMAX out of this movie, and it's it is a f- bore. Yeah, I, I saw it twice, and I was bored both times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. I wanted to play it out in on the forty foot screen. I wanted to play uh, it out in Joshua Tree. I wanted to play oh. twenty forty nine, and the next night, uh, Mad Max Fury Road. But um, let's talk about Wes Anderson a little bit. Uh, I have far less stuff to say about the French dispatch than I do about interesting. Yes. Um, (laughs) So uh, I will let you start on the French dispatch, but give me a little, and the listener, a little bit of context. Uh, It's nice early in the podcast, uh, 48 episodes into people don't know what you think of Wes Anderson, unless they're like hardcore fans who have picked up little snippets here and there, but I don't know your thoughts on Wes Anderson. So let's hear it. I mean, I I love Wes Anderson. All right. I'm a POS. Uh, (laughs) <laughs> I know it's easy to it's he's polarizing. I don't know why, though. I, I don't really understand. I mean, I get why you wouldn't like him, maybe because you don't like that aesthetic. But I feel like he's a great filmmaker even without it. So mm-hmm. I, I don't I you know, I don't really understand too much of the uh, the negative side of him. I think it's just sort of being contrarian. Um, but I, I, I well, yeah. What do you think about him? You P.O.S. Well, I'm so. I have a question. Would have it has it? It was it love at first sight with Wes Anderson. Do you remember your first Wes Anderson, or was it an acquired taste kind of thing? It might have been an acquired taste because I remember. I don't remember what the first was. It might have been Moonrise Kingdom. That was my I, first as well. Yeah. Okay, you saw it in theaters. I'm guessing. Yes. Yeah. Um. And and that was. I think I remember liking it, but not understanding that there was kind of like a unique film, you know, in the way it was done. Um, and I, I remember seeing Life Aquatic, which I wasn't too into actually at the time. Yep. So, so it probably was an acquired taste, I think. It's interesting because I saw Moonrise Kingdom and I was just delighted by it, just completely delighted okay. by it. Nice. And now, um, it would be in my bottom four Wes Anderson movies. Okay. Um, now that yeah. I've seen them, he was an acquired taste for me. I kind of had picked him up through osmosis through the years. Mm-hmm. Um, I I didn't think I liked him, and then one day I think I just kind of did a 180 on him. I think I think I did a little retrospective, um, and you know my favorites are I think uh, I think uh, the Royal Tenenbaums is like a perfect movie almost. I think it's right. like basically like definitely him coming into 
the American scene, like as his third movie, just really making a splash in 2001 with that. I mean, I know people liked Rushmore and Bottle oh, Rocket. Rushmore's so good. Rushmore's great. It's not in my top three. My top three would be uh, Grand Budapest Hotel, Steve Zuzu, which I have an appreciation for now having seen it on the big screen. Cannot wait to see it again. Um, I am doing a Wes Anderson, Paul Thomas Anderson series at the, the Frida Cinema this month. Um, and it falls on the same day. Zuzu is playing with Punch Drunk Love, so I will be seeing both of those on the big screen. Very excited about it. Great, um, great job, by the way. Yeah, I'm very, very proud of playing 16 <laughs> movies from those two directors. So, mm-hmm. uh, the first two directors that I've ever repeated. These I've done these directors before in the past, so I, I, I needed to find a variation way to do it. But anyway, um, yeah, no, I like Wes Anderson. I don't know. Did you think? Did you think I don't like Wes Anderson? No, I figured you did. Um, yeah, yeah. And I, yeah, like I said, I think it's hard not to. Um, yeah, I, I, I do, I do like him a lot. I think Fantastic Mister. I think like literally all of his movies are good. So when I tell you the French Dispatch is in his bottom three movies, uh, it doesn't mean I didn't like the French. Now Dispatch. you are a POS. <laughs> what? Okay, so listen, the French Dispatch is a dense, unbelievably dense. Like every frame, not unlike most of his movies, has so much care and insane production value crazy cast i i think that this is his most visually innovative and interesting film i think that this is his least interesting script he has written i i mean i agree with you i think i think this is him at his peak which is interesting, you know. I think you could you could easily say, but I'm not saying it. Let's be clear. Yeah. You could easily say all of his other movies were practiced for this movie in a way, but it is just the most Wes Anderson-y movie that he's ever made. Um, but it is super dense. I mean, incredibly, maybe more than any other movie I've seen in a long time. Yeah. Um, and you could only really get away with it because of the style and sort of the structure that he decided to set up for this film. It is it feels like his last movie <laughs> yeah it absolutely. feels like he it was like every thought i have is going into this movie i need a wes anderson i need the next movie he does to be uh, like a uh they're all quaint this is not a quaint you know what they're not all quaint because this is not a this is like an epic this yeah. is like an insane anthology epic i need his next one to just be about like a restaurant or uh <laughs> um um a grand illusion type heist like a, a like i love the heist sequence in grand budapest hotel mm-hmm. and i'm like i wish that was a movie so i mean bottle rocket's a heist movie but i just i need something smaller i, I like he, it's because he like he's you're right he's been building and practicing towards this like grand opus that like this that. i i am saying it he's <laughs> been building towards this his castle will get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And I think it, this one, it just it hit its maximum overload. That's all. I mean, the movie is not bad by any... I don't think he's made a bad movie. I literally don't think he's made... I don't think Wes Anderson could make a bad movie. Mm-hmm. Um, because... And this will be a movie that I'll walk in and out of. It's a very rare film that I am playing for two weeks. It's a Disney movie, by the way, which I think is quite funny. Um, all of his movies are Disney. Fox Searchlight, Now is Disney. So this was a Disney film. Uh, Leah Sadu being full frontal naked is, is in a Disney movie, uh-huh. uh, which was really shocking. Cause we just saw her in bond and I forgot yeah. like, Oh yeah, she's miss French actress. Like she's like naked all the time in movies. Yeah. This is, um, must be like her sixth or seventh movie that's come out this year. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. She was at like 10 can movies this year. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, no. Um, so I, I was in the middle of a thought, but I lost it. But it, it's it's just I think that the first segment in this anthology is really good. Um, I'm constantly shocked at how good uh, Adrian Brody is in Wes Anderson movies. <laughs> um, Benicio is my favorite performance in this film. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he does the Mr. Fox growl, it made me laugh every time he did it. And he did it like four <laughs> times. It was fuck- uh-huh. It made me laugh every time. Um, the second one with Chalamet and Francis McDormand. Francis McDormand is my second favorite uh, performance in this movie. <laughs> I think she's very good. Jeffrey Wright would be my third favorite. I thought he was really, really yeah. good. He is so good in that third act. But the yeah. third act, I had to stand up and go watch the rest of the movie from the side because I was becoming restless in this one hour and 48 minute film. I can't believe that it's one hour and 48 minutes long. It is it, it it bends space and time. <laughs> it's like I will press play on this movie and be like, I know that this entire file with trailers is two hours, and three hours later the film will still be playing, and I don't know how it's happening. Right. It just. I mean, I'm obviously joking, but that's how it feels. That's absolutely how it feels. <laughs> I I didn't know the runtime until you said it just now, and I can't believe that. It's incredible. Yeah. Well, I always guess the runtime of a movie before it starts. And I'm usually, I have a plus or minus of 10 minutes, which is, you know, 20 minutes either way. So I really can't, I never am that wrong, but I was almost wrong on this. <laughs> I said, oh, this is going to be an, uh, an, one hour and 56 minutes. Just in case it was like two hours and six minutes, I would be within the, the range. <laughs> and it was like, yeah, it's an hour and 48. I go, oh, shoot, it's shorter. Oh, cool. I'm excited. And then I'm right. like in the middle of the Jeffrey Wright, which, you know, that one has Willem Dafoe. Um, uh, Liv Schreiber. Anyways, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that one has like a really fun little cast and uh, definitely the least star-studded cast of the three segments. And like I said, Wright is super good in it, but oh god, it just drags forever. Oh, uh, I don't know. That might be my favorite of the three. And of course it is. Uh, <laughs> if you could, you explain the plot of that third segment to me. Is there any any chance that you could tell me what that segment's about? Yeah, I mean, there's the, there's the surface level thing, right? Is where he goes to review some food by a renowned chef, and then yeah. the the person, the constable's son, gets kidnapped during that review, right? Um, and then they sort of go on trying to rescue him. But what's what's nice is the layering to that movie or to that segment specifically. I mean, there's layering to the movie, but then there's layering only for that segment in that there's the um, he's getting interviewed as well, like in the 60s or whatever. I don't know. Um, And what's great is, too, is the subtlety of going on and off the record, you know, because he's he's he has this ability to recall everything he's ever written. And so Lee Schreiber gets him to recall this specific article. It, oh, no, this is okay. the future. So, you, so you, do, you, you do know what it was about then? Yeah. So this that, that's actually the f- most the farthest into the future we go <laughs> is yeah, that yeah. interview because the the newspaper stuff happens before that, and then the article happens even before that. But then he goes even before that back to when he was younger, um, and that's off the record stuff. And it's very sweet. I love that sort of incorporation. I, I'm saying this. I'll, I, I'm not confident I picked up everything in this movie, especially in that segment. Well, I mean, uh, my brain shut off halfway through that segment. I, I just It was just too much. Now, I said that I want to see him make a movie about a restaurant, so I want him to make a movie just about that. I don't want that to be the third part of this weird anthology, because even the, the Chalamet, Francis McDormand one, that one got fairly muddled a little bit throughout. Was, like when we... Yeah. That was probably the most dense for me, like the least I understood of the three. 
Yeah. Oh God, this movie. Like, I'm like <laughs> Wes Anderson. Like, like I get that he's like a smart man, but I'm like, jeez. Like, like, and he does this crazy thing where like half of it is based on reality and half of it is not in reality. So it's just constantly. I mean, actually, more than half of it's not based in reality. But it's like. In Grand Budapest Hotel, it's clearly taking place in, like, a fake European country in the 30s, so we know that, like, fascism is on the rise, but they never use the word fascist. It's, like, it's like that weird made-up, like, Z. Instead of a <laughs> Nazi logo, it's, like, a Z or whatever, and right. I'm like, okay, I can track this because it's just one movie and just one part of one movie, but when there's a billion moving parts, <laughs> it's just it, – it was a lot. And, oh, my gosh. Yeah, again, I would never dare say it was a bad film. But almost every person I've walked out of out of that out, I would never dare say it's a bad film. But every person that's walked out of that theater, I feel like I said the exact same opinion, where they will lead with the negative aspects of it, like "Oh my god, that was so dense, it was so much." But then they will come up and the and the the rear end and say like, "But it's visually incredible." Like that's the reason why I sat through the. And then this is one of the only movies that I've ever seen our full audience just sit through all of the credits, just kind of take it all in. You know, we've made it victory lap type thing. <laughs> well, cause the credits are also, it has that great song, that sort of trumpety song. Um, but yes. it also has like all the covers for past yes. French dispatches, which is very clever. Yes. Um, yeah. So you, you seem, you seem uh, uh, more pot. Where would you rank this on first watch in the Wes Anderson canon? That's hard. I, I, I feel like I didn't, quite watch the movie yet i feel like i have to go see it a few more times to have seen it well um, this is the type of movie that i'll walk in and out of for two weeks and just like trick myself into being like no i do like this movie but it's because i'm taking it in five minutes at a time when i walk in and out of the theater right you're, you're doing a great job I, you know if i could give a shout out to the wonderful time warp radio katie and haley yeah. this is a movie that i'd like to listen to a minute by minute podcast about holy shit Oh my! This is a perfect movie for that. So oh if, my god! You can do like a two-hour podcast a week about every minute of this. Of this, I mean, that's crazy. Yeah. So maybe maybe we get into that. Uh, some Patreon stuff going on, but no, uh, I have no interest in breaking down this movie. That's the but thing. But we is could like, do it. They need someone to do it. There's no way this movie is better if you think about it more. <laughs> there's I, I no way. It, I think absolutely it is, and I yeah. think. But I, I can't wait to see it again. It's hard for me to say. However, this is what I do want to say about this movie. I think that if there ever was going to be in our history a perfect film made, which I know is hard because, you know, so many different uh, tastes and, and directing styles. But if there ever was going to be in the future, I'm not saying now, but in the future, if there was going to be in 2050, the perfect movie is made. Mm-hmm. then this is the gateway. This is the first stepping stone to it, I believe. So, uh, like a, a formal, a formally perfect film. Yeah, almost like um, like showing that, hey, there is a possibility for a perfect film to be made. It It's not here, it's not now, but it can happen. I mean, it could be the Wes Anderson restaurant movie. Maybe, maybe so. Well, uh, we uh, talked about Timmy. <laughs> wait, wait. We haven't talked about Timmy in this movie. Uh, uh, he he's great. good. I yeah. liked him. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, uh, his hair was fun, and um, he. I thought he might be a little bit out of place in a Wes Anderson movie. Not the case at all. Showed up, did his homework. The scene where he's in the bathtub has some of the funniest stuff in the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely, um, I, you know, I'm I am self conscious about my new muscles, like stuff like that. Great, great, classic 
Wes Anderson comedy, mm-hmm. um, which I thought was missing in this movie. I thought that 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 part and the Mr. Fox growl and the movie was wildly not very funny. Like, oh, I disagree to... with you, my friend. Wow, I, I see, thought I was it was say, hilarious. I don't even think it was trying to be funny, but okay, I'm I'm glad you liked it and thought it was funny. No, but that's the perfect. I love Wes Anderson's sense of humor. You know, the very dry trojan horsing a joke in almost where you don't really get it i think i think there's a lot of really good jokes in there i mean i love the concept of uh that wrestler guy in the last story you know that they throw on the car for some reason (laughs) his whole story is really good because they wake him up and then he's getting shot at but he doesn't care but my favorite joke in this movie i mean adrian brody's stuff is all supposed to be kind of comedic um, oh yeah, Adrian Brody is always outwardly like the most funny person in his movies, but but like you know, depending on your style of humor, especially the pianist. Yeah, hilarious. Love that Wes Anderson movie. <laughs> um, but my favorite joke in this movie, and I've been thinking about it nonstop, is is in that that segment um, when they bring that uh, Kansas woman Ma, you know, yeah. to go see, and she says like this really long sentence. <laughs> I don't even know what she's talking about. She's like talking about. French art, you know, but she has that really thick southern accent, and she go and she says all these words perfectly. But I don't even know. But she's like, yeah. Oh, I was cracking up. That was such a good joke. That was so good. Uh, wait, the joke is that Adrian Brody just says like, I have no idea what you just said or whatever, right? No, no. The joke is her saying it. Oh, yeah. I, I thought I remember Adrian Brody saying something after she talked, saying like, "I have no idea what you've just said," and then like walked away or something. He might have. I was laughing pretty yeah. hard, at, uh, yeah. so I missed it. You laughed over the movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Uh, okay. So I have one last thing, and it's a, a bit of a Wes Anderson trivia that you may or may not know about him. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Where is Wes Anderson from? Oh, good question. He's like, a, I think he grew up to be as like a nerd, right? Wasn't he in like the South? Yeah, but like, no, yeah. I mean, you can't say, I can't, you can't, <laughs> I asked you where he's from. You can't say, I think he grew up a nerd. <laughs> Was he in Texas? Yes, he's from Houston, okay. Texas. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that crazy? When you yeah. watch a movie like The French Dispatch or Grand Budapest Hotel, you're like, this dude grew up in Houston. Well, I mean, it makes sense for, like, Bottle Rocket. Yeah, the the only way you can really tra- trace that is if you watch Bottle Rocket and are like, oh, well, the Wilson brothers are from Texas, too, and that's how they met. But even if you started from, like, Rush, or even, like, you know, the Royal Tenenbaums feels like someone who grew up, I mean, the Royal Tenenbaums is a portrait of a, a fake version of New York. That version of New York right. never existed. But, you know, if, if, if someone didn't know anything about New York, they would they would think, like, oh, yeah, that's how, that's how New York is, you know? It's like a... Uh, I don't know where Noah Baumbach is but uh, from, but when I watch um, Squid and the Whale, it feels like he's from New York, and he knows New York. So I, anyway, yeah, um, Wait, yeah that's you, always my so favorite. Yep. What are you saying? You're saying that Texans can't uh, imagine high art? Well, they clearly can is what I'm saying. I think it's, <laughs> I think, I think it's incredible. I think that what he's done as a, a, a little boy who grew up in Houston, Texas, I, I just you would have never thought that someone like that could dream up the world of – the Grand Budapest Hotel, let alone the French Dispatch. Yeah, I, I think, and one last thing, I think there's there's some grand, there's a lot of ideas, and I think there's a lot of brilliant ideas that we haven't quite uncovered here in the French Dispatch, but I think the one that I most want to delve deeper into is the fact that they're all writing this for Kansas. That's the, that's, that is so wild. 
there, there's like it briefly goes over that and every once in a while you'll see it it'll like pan out in that one shot um to where the art is in the middle of a cornfield i think there's there's 100 percent something big there that they're saying but there's no way you could like get that in the first watching right and so i think that's the beauty of this movie i think i love the density of this film and i can't wait to watch it again over and over again. This is. Oh my god. I mean, his movies are rewatchable, but this one may be his most rewatchable. That's. Uh, I, I. I. Okay. Well, we disagree on this one, then. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. You could be wrong. That's okay. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, and we did it. We talked about Timmy. This whole episode was obviously about Timmy. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Um, so, thanks everybody for listening. Adam, do you have anything you want to plug? Uh, yeah. Listen. <laughs> you mad at me, Trevor? What? About what? You're so mad at me right now. I'm not mad. People just keep walking into the room that I'm recording in. You're so like, mad. They walk. They, I've had three people walk in in the last ten minutes and walk up to the computer, see I am recording, and then just like give me a thumbs up and walk away. And you're in your bedroom, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm actually in the uh, the the storage room of the Frida Cinema as we speak. <laughs> and right. a French Dispatch just started at two o'clock. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Well, follow me on Letterboxd, Adam with three M's. And uh, check out my website, adamjcwagner.com, where I post the stuff I make. And my letterbox is uh, Captain Dills, of <laughs> course. And my personal Instagram and Twitter are at Trevor Dills. And follow us, uh, Ghost Party Picks, on Instagram and Twitter. Um, we've done it. We have done another episode of You Talking Timmy to Me. And that'll do it. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Ghost Party Radio. Adam, we have officially chatted the Chalamet. Uh, okay, bye. Bye. Please turn away. I feel shy about my new muscles.